Good afternoon. Hi. Today we will uh, be diving into scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 to 3. This is what the Lord says. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your works of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because, of our, go- because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of our Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivered us from the wrath to come. The word of God for the people of God. Yeah, you can, you can be seated. Thank you uh, um, for that. So if you don't know me, I'm not Marco. He is my brother from another mother, but I am not Marco. Um, my name is Jeff. I'm, I'm pastor over at Logos Community Church in Harlingen, and I, I see a lot of familiar faces. And um, uh, man, I've always said this is my second favorite place to preach. Um, and it, I love that when Marco first asked me several weeks ago, he said, "Will you be able to preach on that Sunday?" And I said, "Man, I don't think so. We got a, a huge Sunday. We got some really important baptisms." And and then it dawned on me that you guys are meeting at four. Now And so I said, man, absolutely, because we meet at 10 and I'll be done. And, and so I'm very happy to be here and I'm happy that you're here. I know it's it's awesome day out there. Also, there's a little game this afternoon, but you have decided that more than grilling fajitas or, or making your famous um, jalapeno dip or whatever, that being in the house of the Lord is more important. Now, I do. I do just want to ask you don't have to raise your hand. If the Cowboys were in the Super Bowl, would you be here? You don't have to answer out loud. Um, praise God. I, I think you would. I, I love what, uh, what Izzy said earlier. Like, this is the best place to be. This is, I think, what we do on Sundays when the church gathers is, is the most important time of the week. And I love, man, we are, we are to have, like, really important uh, individual times with the Lord and that's super critical and reading our Bibles alone and praying to the Lord but like there is, there is no picture there is no evidence in the New Testament of of like Lone Ranger Christians the church is called to be together and it is awesome when you sing in your car to the Lord but there's something like exponentially more powerful when when the saints gather and then there's like a common song a corporate song. And when we sit under the preached word of God together, like that is special. Don't ever, don't ever neglect that gathering together. And so, man, I'm really, really excited to be here. I was told to tell you that the notes for the sermon, you can find those um, on, the, on the website there, um, I think under resources. 
And, and I do want to tell you before I, I get into the, the passage, man, the, the roots of between Storehouse and Logos are, are strong and deep. And certainly between Marco and I, I mean, probably my, my best pastor friend, you know, you need, pastors need friends where like I can say, hey man, I, can I be real with you? I don't like my people right now. Like I got five nasty emails and, and like I won't be judged, but I'll be prayed for or encouraged. And I love that you have let Marco take some time away this weekend and that you take care of him that way. Um, I would just ask you to continue to do that because it can be challenging sometimes. And um, if you're in ministry or in leadership and, and sometimes questioning, man, am I doing the right thing? Am I, am I being a failure? Am I failing God? Am I failing God's people? And it's important for him to get away and, and receive from the Lord. So I wonder, what, what is Storehouse's reputation? Just think about that for a moment. You don't have to yell out. But like, what is Storehouse's reputation in the city? Or, as someone pointed out, all churches really have two names. So you might call it like First Baptist Church, but it's really known as like the church with the funky steeple or, or the church that meets like at the Y in the road. Or like, so there are, there's the real name of the church, and then every church has a second name. What would, what would Storehouse's real name that the people of the city would know it as? What would that name be? Would it, like I, I've, I grew up in a church and there was this huge mega church and, and it kind of had this brick and I think they thought it was red, but it was really kind of purple and it was known as the purple church on the hill. Or maybe, you know, there's a church known as the skinny jeans church or the tattoo church or the forever 21 church. Everybody looks like they're, cut, like they're a model, Right. Or it can be based upon like what your church is kind of leans into. So like a home, a, a church for the homeless. And it's known as, oh, you, so you go to the homeless church. Or a church that does a really good job at ministering to refugees from other countries, the refugee church. Many of you may know Stephanie and Michael Palmer. And so they, they started at the original Logos here in McAllen. And the way they were introduced was they went to an art crawl or an art walk or some, I don't know who was there back then. And, and, and the, the church had a, a booth and I think it had this like motto, like sex, drugs, rock and roll, then Jesus. And like, that was kind of like in your face. And they took a card and like a year later, they decided, hey, you know what, man, we, we ought to go to church. And, and Stephanie said they had that, that card on the mirror, and she's like, hey, let's go to that sex, drugs, rock and roll church or whatever. And now they're, they're vibrant parts of, of our church over in Harlingen. But churches have names. Churches have reputations. And churches also get judged by Jesus. If you read the book of Revelation, you know that Early in the book, that's what happens. Jesus is kind of uh, announcing kind of how he has viewed certain churches throughout history. Churches get rewarded. Churches get disciplined. And the Apostle Paul, after his radical salvation, uh, he, he established churches. He was a church planter, kind of this apostolic guy to go forward and, and plant churches. But he would also wrote most of his letters to, to teach churches, to encourage churches to, um, to correct churches. Some of these churches were, they, they displayed a lack of unity. There was a lot of infighting. Man, surprise, surprise, people arguing in church, right? Um, some of them were really caught in like carnality. 
bad sexual sin. Again, man, the things haven't really changed. Like the, the clothes and stuff we wear and how we do things, but like the problems have not changed. Others were, were very legalistic, quickly deserting the gospel of grace and turning back to legalism and moralism. And so he's doing that often in churches, encouraging and correcting. And yet, yet the church at Thessalonica almost like stands alone as this church that, that displays like great faith. Like has a pretty much through the book, you're going to see a really good reputation. It's a church that we can learn from, a church to actually emulate. It has a pretty good reputation. And here's what I love that I think is really important for you guys to remember this was a church of young converts, mostly Gentile converts. This was not an old church. This was one of the earliest books that Paul wrote, I think maybe the second book, like in like 51 AD. So think, the entire church is only like 19, 20 years old. And then this church, even younger. And so the, the point is, Storehouse, because you guys are not super old in terms of churches, a church does not have to be old to be an example, to be a very faithful church. And Marco said that, that kind of the theme of, of this study is, is titled Captivated. And so we're going to see in the passage where I'd like to head this morning is, what does it look like for a church that has been captivated, truly captivated by Christ? What does that type of church look like? What is their impact in the world how do they live? What, what comes out of a church like that? And so really, th this is where we're going to go. Four marks of a captivated church. Four marks of a captivated church. So we start, and I'm going to reread verses 2 and 3. Um, and, and we're going to start with, the, as Paul begins to point out these things in the church, I love that Paul starts, and his, his relationship with them is very evident. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul treasures this church. He thanks God for them. I wonder, do you thank God often for storehouse? And I, again, because I've been on both ends, I have complained about churches, and then I sometimes, as I, I get the complaints and we tend to judge churches, and that church is, their children's ministry didn't do it for me, and the worship was off. And um, do you thank God for the church that he has given you? This is a special thing that he's done for you. And, and you need to be thankful for the church that God has given. I, I get on our people when they will stay. And these are people that have been here a while. I hope you don't get caught up doing this. Hey, well, you know, that was good. But what y'all need to do? And I say, well, hold up. Who is y'all? We. We need to. Oh, well, yeah, you're right, Pastor. But again, y'all need to do a better job. No, no, no. We don't use y'all language. This is us. This is we. This is our church. We don't use y'all language, and we love the church. And Paul notes specifically in this introduction three things. He says, man, he, he sees their work of faith, their labor of love, their steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he's, he's beginning to outlay, this is a faithful church. They have works of faith. They have a love that, that produces labor. And they have a kind of a settled hope 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, love, and hope. Paul talks about those things often. And he sees that in this church. This church does those things. And so we're going to dig a little deeper and say, what, what does that look like? What does this, this captivated, faithful church look like? Paul begins to acknowledge what this captivated church looks like and that, that it is, this is a captivated church in verses 4 and the first part of uh, verse 5. He says, For we know, Paul and the brothers, Silvanus and Timothy and the, the other leaders, we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. How could Paul know this? When um, my wife and I tried to have children for, for the first like seven or eight years of our marriage, I mean, within about the first six months, man, we were ready to start a family. And it just wasn't happening. And we did some medical stuff and all that. And then the Lord began to, to call our heart to adoption. And we have two sons, uh, 22 and 23, that are from Guatemala. And, but but the, the, the reason I'm telling you this is just the beauty of adoption and what that means. And so, for instance, we, we adopted from an orphanage in Guatemala. And most of the times there were 40 or 50 children. And we would see these pictures of all the children. And we loved all the children. We went when we went to get our boys and we got to minister to all the kids and hold them. But we didn't choose all the kids. We chose two. Two out of all those kids over the years became Neils. We specifically adopted two of all of those children. See, it's special to be chosen to be adopted. And notice Paul thanks God. He doesn't thank the church. He thanks God for their salvation. Just this morning I was preaching in, in uh, the book of Jonah. And Jonah, after he's in the belly of the fish, um, he recognizes, he prays to God, and he ends that prayer by saying, salvation belongs to the Lord. That's all through the Bible. We receive it, but salvation is a work of God. But we get into this question as we're beginning to, to talk about this church. How does Paul, how can he say with confidence, I know that you have been chosen. I know that you have been elected. See, there's that, that word that sometimes... Um, gets us a little nervous in church. I have people sometimes say, you know, Jeff, I don't believe in, in um, predestination. I don't believe in election. And I say, well, you have to believe in something because they're in the Bible. Like you may say that you believe something different than I believe, but like those words are there. They're all through scripture. And this is what Paul's talking about. What does it mean then that Paul can say, I know you have been chosen. Sometimes, it, maybe your issue is not the, the, the words of election or adoption, but maybe it's more personal. You're like, well, how do I know that I have? Or how do I know as I'm ministering that others, I mean, if there are the elect and that would, that would mean that there are not, how, however would I know? And Paul seems to know. But it's not that difficult. Here's the point. Paul says, I know that you are the elect because the gospel worked. The gospel worked, you came alive, you were, you were aware of your sin and your deep need for a savior, and you called upon the Lord, that's how I know that you're the elect. The gospel worked. 
We've gone other places and the gospel didn't work. Is it as if we were preaching to this wall? There's another time that, that Paul and the apostles are preaching in the book of Acts, chapter 13. I think one of the most clear passages regarding election. And, and so the gospel's then preached, imagine, to the Gentiles, and, and it's awesome. And this is what it says. And when the Gentiles heard this, Acts chapter 13, verse 48, they heard the gospel. They began rejoicing. So the group begins rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Everybody heard, but everybody didn't believe. The ones who were appointed to eternal life believed. The ones who were elect. So Paul says, I know because the gospel came and you guys were radically saved. The, the, the power of the gospel was undeniable. It's like Romans 1.16 that Paul talks about. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Paul saw things in the, the Thessalonians that only the Holy Spirit can do. People who were not convicted of sin were immediately convicted of sin. But people were, were, were confessing sin. They were crying out before the Lord. And Paul said, I know now that you are the elect because the gospel has taken effect. There's repentance. There's confession. There's conviction. We had... Um, I mentioned this, that we had some pretty powerful baptisms over in Harlingen this, this morning. And one, I mean, she, this lady was, um, she's single. She's probably in her 50s. And, and uh, man, just liberal, progressive, um, not interested in church, not inter interested in Christianity for decades. She ends up down in Harlingen. Her life kind of begins to fall apart. She, she, um, knows that something is not working. She's like, I don't, man, should I give church a, a try? And she, she calls an uncle who she had not talked to in over 20 years, an uncle and an aunt, former missionaries. He flew down today for the baptism. And she said, listen, I need to ask you, you know, some certain questions. You know, can I trust you? And because I'm going to ask some hard questions. And, and he was telling me today, he's like, yeah, okay. And so she said, I, I think I want to go to a church. So he Googles, he finds Logos in Harlingen. She's been coming about a year. And all I can tell you is I know that she's the elect because like th this is not a lady that was looking for God or looking for the church. And God has just radically saved her. Like she'll be in my office. And I, I love the, the rawness of it because she doesn't know like all of the, the churchiosity. And so she'll be saying something and she'll, she'll like say a bad word. She'll say, oh, I'm, excuse me. But like the gospel is blowing her mind. She's like, I, my family, and there's some messed up stuff, but, but I'm reading the Bible, and I've got messed up stuff. The gospel is, is just wrecking her in a, in a very good way. That When you see that, you know that is the Holy Spirit at work. We don't do that without God, right? We hide stuff. I always say, well, um, I'm acting like this because my mom didn't hold me when I was five or um, my boss is mean to me at work. We'll make a million excuses. When you see the Holy Spirit at work, conviction, confession of sin, you're like, I'm talking to an elect person here. And Paul says, that's how I know that you're a special church. I know that you're the elect. So now he begins to get in to these four marks of what a, a captivated church looks like and as always th this is God's work 
he gets the credit, but this is what it looks like. So we, we pick up in the second half of verse 5 to verse 7. He says, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. The first mark, I think, of a a captivated church is imitation. Or or we might know it in, in... in storehouse and logos terms as discipleship. Paul says, look, it was a sacrifice. We lived an open life in front of you. We proved our lives. There was a reason. Like Paul says, for your sake. That's why we did those things. For your sake. This this idea of discipleship, of imitation. That is the mark of a church that has been captivated by Jesus. This same Paul would write to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Can you imagine saying that to, uh, if you're a woman, a young woman in in McAllen, or if you're a man, a young man saying, hey, and they're they're asking, they're inquiring about how how to be a Christian, and you just say, hey man, just once or twice a week, come be with me. And as I follow Jesus, you will follow me. That's a daunting thing because we know that we will stumble. And so it, it's certainly not a, a, um, the idea that you have to be perfect. But there is imitation. That is the mark of a church that has been captivated by Jesus. One of the best pieces of advice I got years ago was someone said, man, every, every place you are, find a Paul. Who is your Paul, that, that man that is either older in age or older in maturity that is pouring into you? You have to have a Paul. And then also, who is your Timothy? Who is a younger man or a younger person in the faith in, in which you can pour into? And then who is your Barnabas? And maybe those are like peers. They're, they're alongside you, right, pushing you that same life stage, same maturity. But, but we need a Paul, a Timothy, and a Barnabas to do this, this imitation, this thing we call discipleship. And this was a church, Paul notes, that they didn't receive, and there's nothing wrong with air conditioning. Our building's air conditioned and comfortable seats, right? And we, we, we don't like go outside and make ourselves sit on the ground. But this was a church that did not come to faith in comfort or air conditioning. They came in affliction. Y'all, I think y'all talked about it last week in Acts 17. Man, the city was in an uproar. They were not looked upon favorably. There was a rebellion going on. There was a lot of pain. This was a church that was, listen, not chasing joy. I mean, chasing comfort, but joy. They're, they're, they're not always the same. Yet sometimes you will chase joy and, and it will come with discomfort. But the city was in an uproar. Some of them were being dragged and attacked and accused of rebellion. That's how this church was formed. You know, that, that's really historically, that's the story of the church. You and I, I think, I've said this before, I think we're the anomalies. So imagine in eternity one day, you have the church through the centuries, where it, it's often not been 
the, 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 um, the, the, had the position of power. It's not had the position of a lot of money. It's often had instead the position of suffering, of beatings. So you have them. Then you have even the church right now around the world again. In most places, you don't become a Christian to get into the in-group. You end up getting thrown out into the streets or hauled to jail or beaten. So we will be the ones, I think, when everybody's sharing suffering stories in eternity, and we're like, oh, man, that was kind of easy. Like, yeah. We're the ones, perhaps, that need to understand the church, not just the uh, church in Thessalonica, but, but often around the world in history has come to faith to, in suffering, in great pain, in great anguish. And yet, despite all that, Paul says, listen, you became an example. The students have now become the teachers. And their fruit is evident. Listen, discipleship is not done until the disciples making disciples. Right? It's, it's when you are pouring into a young person, a young man or a young woman, and then it's not done until they now say, hey, now I've got these two people that I am going to be an example to. And that was happening here. So the first mark then is becoming and making disciples. It's imitation. It's following, following this example of Paul and the brothers, becoming examples in their town and in their region and I ask you, is that happening in McAllen with you? Is that a mark of this church that you are, you are looking for examples and then that you might be an example? That's the first mark of this, this church in Thessalonica. So what other marks are there? The, the second one is one of proclamation. So there's imitation and then there's proclamation. Look at verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Because they had proven to be good examples, they proclaimed and it was effective. It, Paul said when he says um, sounds forth, it really means um, it sounded forth, it rang out, it was loud, a loud resounding noise. John Stott says, a loud noise which seemed to reverberate through the hills and valleys of Greece. I was thinking this week, and I, I think it's fair to say, you cannot be truly captivated by Jesus and be silent about Jesus. That, that makes no sense. That would be like you, you discover how to make energy from nothing, like you've solved the world's energy problem, and you sit on it. You cannot truly understand the greatness and beauty of Jesus Christ and then just go watch the Super Bowl and be silent. There was proclamation. It's natural. A sounding forth like, you're not going to believe it. There's a way that your sins might be covered by the blood of someone else. There's a way, despite how rotten you have lived, this is incredible news, there is actually a way that the Father will accept you back that you don't have to earn. So, so a, a true mark of a captivated church is that it is by definition an evangelistic church. 
It is a church that is witnessing, that is testifying, that will not shut up about Jesus. Is that you, storehouse? Are you telling the stories where you go to work? Are you telling the stories where you work out? Are you telling the stories, hey, man, this is awesome. I have to tell you something. You're not going to believe this, what the Lord Jesus has done. So there's, there's imitation, there's proclamation, there's demonstration, the third mark. These were not just hearers of the word, but they were doers. The gospel was demonstrated in their lives in the way they suffered well. You can actually suffer a right way and suffer poorly. You can suffer and grumble and complain, or you can suffer and you are so satisfied in Christ that you overlook offenses. You don't need to get retribution. You don't need to take vengeance. Hey, I'm so at peace and satisfied in Christ. I'll let, I'll let them go first. I'll let them win. I'll forgive, even though, yeah, they probably don't deserve it. They, these people were changed. They handled their money differently. They ministered to the poor. They stayed married. They, they handled their sexuality according to the word of God. They worked It changed what type of bosses they were. It changed what type of employees they were. The lordship of Christ was demonstrated in their daily living. The power of God, the the captivation of God over a person or a church is undeniable and it is also irresistible. When you see someone, again, I, I mentioned this lady this morning, Sharon, like it, it's, it's not only is it like that is the work of God, but you're like, I want to be like that. Because it is clear that God is, is at work. And so it, it is a mark of a captivated church that its deeds match its words. That the gospel is demonstrated how that church lives how that church conducts life, how that church interacts inside the walls and outside the walls. That church has a good message and that church has a testimony that backs up that message. And then we we finish up with verses 9 through 10. Paul says, for they themselves, these others, they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. The fourth mark then of a a captivated church is one of dedication. There was a depth to this church. Others are now, think about this, others are reporting back to Paul And saying, hey, man, this church is for real. Like, these guys aren't posers. There is a realness to their Christianity. There is no doubt that they have been born again. They're not fickle. They don't waver. They're not flaky. They are solid. There's a a focus. There's a, a simplicity. As if they have settled. They are not the people that they were. They have been born again. They're different. They have been rooted in the foundations of the Christian life. Jesus has been raised. 
Jesus has saved them from the coming wrath. Jesus is coming back. When when you really settle those things, you live differently. You handle work differently. You handle your paycheck differently. You handle your girlfriend or boyfriend differently. When When you have settled, oh, this is for real. Jesus is raised from the dead. He has saved us from from the coming wrath of God, and he's coming back. It it puts things in priority. And so notice three things specifically that these others were telling Paul they saw in the church there at Thessalonica. First, they told Paul, hey, they have turned to God and away from evil. They have renounced idols. The word has gone out that, man, they're, they're burning idols. They're casting them down. Um, they're hating evil. Storehouse, are you, are you hating evil that way? Is that type of attitude prevailing like when you meet in community? When you meet one-on-one or one-on-two where, man, can I, like, we don't have time for fake church, right? How are you doing? Oh, I'm... I'm blessed and highly favored, brother. How are you? Well, you're like, I'm looking at stuff I'm not supposed to. Man, please pray for me because it is, it is horrid to God. It is, it is despicable. Please pray for me this week and, and hold me accountable this week. And we're being real not to judge one another, but because we know like that stuff is bad. We're turning away from evil and turning towards God. That we have a hatred for the sin that put Jesus on the cross. We're not letting it hang around and, and be a friend. They turn to God away from evil. These others told Paul also, hey, they serve. They serve the Lord. They serve the church. Are you working storehouse? Not to gain favor from the Lord or to put in your time, but because you're just so overwhelmed with what God has done for you. We don't work for salvation. We work because of salvation, right? Because God has, has borne us anew. That, that message was going out. Man, these people are laboring for the Lord. It is, your, it is the passion here to serve the Lord, to serve one another, to serve the city. And they waited. They greatly anticipated the return of Jesus. They didn't see it in the first century. You and I might not see it in our lives. But they, there's a way you live in which you are greatly anticipating the return of the Lord. That you have settled that he can come back at any moment. That he is coming back. He is coming back for you. Are you preparing that way? The Bible gives a lot of examples of, of how you would prepare if you really thought that. You wouldn't dabble in stuff that you're not supposed to dabble in. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be so caught up in, in minor things that don't matter. You'd be prepared, ready, putting oil in your lampstand, right? Are you greatly anticipating and putting things spiritually in order and, and thinking, hey, this world is temporary because the Lord is coming back. I am, the Bible says, I'm like passing through this world now. This is, I don't set deep anchors in this world right now. All of my affections, all of my, um, my, my most treasured things are not anchored in this world because this is not home. That's home. They were waiting. 
again, man, a mark, a mark of a captivated church is that um, Jesus is everything, man. It's not, he's not just part of a, a, part of a well-balanced life. He is life. And that, that causes us to renounce evil and to serve the Lord and to wait upon his return. So as, uh, as we finish this morning, Storehouse, I think you have a good reputation. I really do. And, man, I love the relationship that we have. You are the elect of God. But I just, as, as the Paul would, I think, challenge, I just would, in love, challenge, are you this morning, are you captivated? Are you captivated? Don't go, don't make the mistake and go and try to perform these things this afternoon. That's not the point. We sang, I think, in the second song, I wrote this down, I will build my life on your love. So out of just being wrecked by the love that God has shown you in Christ, being captivated by that, will you be a church of, of imitation that you will, you will imitate Christ and that others might imitate you? And you'll just keep that process of discipleship going over and over, making disciples here uh, in the region, around the world. Will, will you be a church of proclamation that you will not shut up about the Lord Jesus Christ? That you will, tell, you will seek opportunities and then you will walk into them with roommates, with workmates. That you will, you will be a proclaimer of Christ. Will you be a church of demonstration? Hey, we, it will be said about storehouse. They do what they say they believe. They're not perfect. No one but Christ is. But even when they mess up, they repent. They ask for forgiveness. They give forgiveness. But these people do what they proclaim. And will you be a church of dedication? Like, man, you have settled some facts about the gospel, about who Jesus is, that he's been born, that he's been raised from the dead, that he's at the right hand of the Father, that he's going to come back for you, that he saved you from the coming wrath. Will we be a, a, a church of dedication? I think you will. I think you have a, a good testimony, storehouse. And in love, where we see we need to grow, let, let's push each other to grow. Imitation, proclamation, demonstration, and dedication. These, I think these are the marks of a captivated church. Let's pray as we get ready for the Lord's Supper. Father, we know that you are not looking for perfection in your church, and, and um, that would drive us, I think, to hide from you and to not be honest. But you are looking for faithful churches. Churches that will be true, that will be captivated by all that Jesus is, captivated by the gospel, the good news. And I believe Storehouse is one. And I pray they would grow in those areas today, Lord, that they, they would imitate more, they would proclaim more, they would demonstrate more, they would be dedicated more and deeper more. Lord, for, for your glory, for the sake of the city, that you've placed them in. Others right now that are apart from Christ are not spared the coming wrath of God. 
there, there's still a, we believe, a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And so the, the good news needs to get out in this city. And these are the people, Father, that I, I think you have to do that. And so, Father, anytime we talk about, about you, about the coming wrath, it, it takes us right to the cross where we know because of the work of your son on that cross, we are spared the wrath of God. In fact, the wrath of God that was due us was put on him at Calvary. He bore our sins. He took our stripes. He took our shame. And we now are free.